Occasionally, myself and our coaching staff at DadStartingOver.com, we run into a client who has issues that go beyond the scope of coaching. They may have really severe anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and this is the point where our coaches stop and say, have you spoken to a therapist? What a lot of these men say is, I've looked into it, not a lot of options in my area, it can't work with my schedule, or I have an appointment schedule, but I can't get in for another four months. In other words, the need is there. They recognize the need. They see the value in the therapy, but the options for getting the therapy are extremely limited in their area. Well, thanks to our friends at BetterHelp.com, there is an option for you. BetterHelp is a unique service that allows you to talk to a licensed therapist from your area via your telephone or your computer. You can do voice chat with them if you wish. You can email back and forth. You can text with them all on your time schedule, all from the convenience of your phone or your computer. So check it out at betterhelp.com slash DSO. That's betterhelp.com slash DSO and get 10% off your first month of service with BetterHelp. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dad Starting Over podcast. And before we get started with today's episode, I want to get a couple of pieces of business out of the way. First of all, I write and sell books. You can find my books at dadstartingover.com slash books. You can also find my books at any of the major retailers online at amazon.com, Audible, Awesound, Barnes & Noble, and Apple Books. Look for my books titled The Dead Bedroom Fix, which is my bestseller. Now What? A Guide for Men Starting Over in Life After Infidelity, Breakup, and Divorce, as well as my book Red Flags. Lastly, I have started a members-only site to my website called the DSO Fraternity. At the DSO Fraternity, we have live member meetings, access to all of my books at no additional charge in both PDF and audiobook format. We also have Facebook discussion groups for members only. And lastly, articles and audio for members only that you are free to discuss on the website. Check out the DSO fraternity at dadstartingover.com slash join. And now on to today's episode. So, Scott, tell us about what brings you to the world of dad starting over. Well, that's a kind of a long story there. I have been uh, a struggler for most of my life, um, leading with very little direction knowing that I wanted to be a better person, but not knowing how to get there, knowing that there were things that I needed to do and what those things were, just not how. I have gone through a lot of trauma. I was a very bad kid as I grew up, uh, grew up very poor. I had to take the, a pirog across the bayou to catch the bus to go to school in the morning. I hunted and trapped for most of my childhood, from about the age of eight till about 16, uh, where I would collect pelts and sell them in order to buy money for my first car. Wow. In fact, my first vehicle was an airboat, believe it or not. It oh, how cool. Me by a, yeah. an uncle. So I, I'm an old Cajun, uh, lived down in the bayous most of my life. Unfortunately, that meant that I was in a very poor school district. Being a fat, nerdy kid in a poor dish, school district down south um, was not the best conducive environment for education. Uh, beatings were daily, and they were as regular as home run. I had a big problem with being able to stand up for myself. I was raised by uh, pacifists. My father was a Vietnam vet who was very stoic, still dealing with a lot of stuff. I'm glad he wasn't abusive, but he wasn't exactly emotionally available. Did not give a whole lot of support at the time. Uh, recently, we have been working on our relationship and we've come together a lot. As I've grown older and gotten out of childhood, him and I have connected a lot. Uh, my mother was very emotionally dependent and put a lot of her stake in my well-being. That being said, I had to learn my own coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms. One of the things that I learned is when I was getting a beating one day, I had actually snapped and blacked out into a fit of rage. And one of the bullies that had bullied me most of my childhood, I ended up putting in the hospital. 
uh, not remembering anything from the fight. Oh, wow. When that, yeah, um, broke 11 bones in his body. And uh, I was, I'm not proud of it in any way, shape, or form. He did not deserve that. Uh, but it is what it is, and it's what happened. I learned from that that being a badass was a great defense mechanism for a nerdy kid. And I changed my entire demeanor. I went from the fat nerdy kid to just the kid that would do anything that made myself look stronger. It became a coping mechanism. Unfortunately, that put me in a lot of constant trouble. I would always get picked up by the police. A lot of them knew me by name. Uh, I, I did a lot, of, a lot of stupid shit. I'm really glad um, and surprised that I got out of it alive. One of the side effects of this was when I was doing a lot of this and being the bad kid, so to say, uh, my parents didn't quite know how to handle me. Everything that they did would not help me in any way, shape, or form because I was leading down my own path and wouldn't take any advice from them. They got to their wits end at one point, and I remember being picked up from school, my mom telling me that she had a surprise for me, and that surprise was being brought to a mental institution because of anger management issues. Oh, wow. Yeah, from there, that developed a lot of abandonment issues that took a yeah. very long oh. time to get over. How long were you there in the facility? I did a two week stint in there. Um, there was a lot of things that really opened my eyes to that. I really didn't have it all that bad. And oh, yeah. what I was doing was a choice, not something that I was not in control of. A lot of the people there did not have control over what they were there for. My choices had led me to where I was. And that was kind of a little bit of a turning point for me realizing that I had made decisions that weren't conducive to a good lifestyle. And I tried to start to turn myself around at that time. One of the main things is at the time, shortly after that, I had met who would be my current wife okay. uh, and my one and only wife. One thing I've always said is I, I never want to say the phrase, my first wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I've come very close to um, uh, breaking my own rule on that from my own decisions, but that's something we'll get into later. Yeah. Uh, my wife is a, is a gem. She's a jewel. She is a rock. She has multiple debilitating illnesses, um, everything from autoimmune disease to nerves disorders. Uh, she does need a, a, a bit of health care in order to stay alive. They never expected her to make it to her 20s, and oh, wow. we, she just celebrated her 40-somethingth birthday. Oh, well, good for her. Exactly which one, because you never reveal a wife. <laughs> That's right. Um, when I met her, I was still being a little bit bad at the time. One of the big things that I did stupidly is when my parents were going through their separation issues, uh, my dad had left to go visit my mom, who was in another state. And I stole my mom's car, totaled it, lied to the cop. I spent some time in jail, uh, and that was another eye-opener at that point. Uh, again, I realized that my choices had led me to where I was at. And having my wife to uh, really need me at that point gave me something to, to push for, to become a better person. I found out shortly thereafter that my family had actually had a bet and it was over $5,000 in the pot oh my. to bet if I was going to be dead or in jail by 21. Wow. On my 21st birthday, my family paid me five grand. Wow. Because I beat the odds. <laughs> Gee, thanks family. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just gives you an idea of how, how bad and the things that I had done were yeah. so detrimental. It was not a good thing. It was a coping mechanism, and it was the only thing I had at the point. The thing is, is the entire time I was in control of it, and I yeah. did nothing about it. Was that I thought big, it was the best route. Was that big $5,000 payday, was that your wake-up call? 
Uh, no, actually, it was a huge insult. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, it didn't it didn't bode well for me, but I completely understood. Uh, I was uh, not surprised that that they had that sort of a bet going. So what then? Okay. So after spending a little bit time in jail, um, my parents kicked me out. Obviously, um, they had had the last straw, didn't know what to do with me, and I was homeless for a very long time. I remember many a night sleeping in under the bleachers at specific high schools on the, uh, the riverbanks. I spent a lot of time in the major metropolitan area, working the streets, pedaling, doing anything I could for my next meal and realized that my choices had led me to a place that I really didn't want to be. Wow. That's some story. So it, then w when was the specific, all right, enough is enough moment? It was shortly after that. Um, my girlfriend, wife at the time, had found out about a job opportunity and she saw more in me than a lot of people did. She encouraged me to go apply for this job, to go take a test. And I did, I passed. And for the first time in my life, I had a, a steady job, which was different for me. Everything else before had been part-time, trying to just get any money any way I could. I felt that I had no skills, uh, very low self-esteem at the time, was not confident in myself. When I got that job, it was a, a career path and had insurance, steady paycheck for the first time. I actually traveled the United States for several years under my business's uh, dime. They paid for my hotel, my gas, everything like that. And I was able to bring my wife with me. When I had met her, I made her a promise that I would not marry her until I was able to support her. Hmm. At that time, after I got that job, I went ahead and we got married. That was the real turning point for me. I had been trying to get better before that, but once I got married, I realized that somebody else fully and solely depended on me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's interesting you say that, that because th that that is the oh the I don't know if onus is the is the proper word, but if if there's a big selling point for marriage, is that it gives uh, the people. Uh, something to strive for gives them a purpose, and for a lot of rudderless men, directionless men, it gives them a. You're a dad now. You're a husband now. This is what you have to work towards. Because a lot of us, unless we have that old foundation, whatever you want to call it, it we kind of go off the rails a little bit. Not all of us, but some of us do. Oh yeah, um, because it was a a new thing for me, and I'm a very extreme person. I either do it 110% or I don't do it at all mm -hmm. sort of person. It, she gave me that reason to shape up. And that's when I really started to learn responsibility. Uh, unfortunately, at the same time, that means that I put a lot of my emotional well-being into her because she was the one that gave me the reason to get up every day to go to work. I started to consider her the only reason for me to keep going and move every day. I didn't realize it at the time, but that was the beginning of my nice guy downfall. I put all my emotional legs in her basket and I hitched my emotional wagon to her. Yeah. Not an uncommon story, is Can it? You hear no, it's not. Uh, I've seen a lot of people that have run into the same issue and I've worked with a lot of guys to try to help them recover from that. It was uh, a big eye opener later on in life to realize what I had done. And I mean, for many, many years, I've saw nothing wrong with me trying to be the best husband and father that I could be. We, uh, when we first met, we were told we were never going to be able to have children. She was not going to be able to because of her diseases. Well, we had bought a house and shortly thereafter, the standard practice of new house, new baby came along. During her pregnancy, uh, we were told that it was a topic. So she had to go under surgery. After the surgery, we found out that it was not a topic, but she had a complication because one of her illnesses and the fetus actually survived the surgery. 
And lo and behold, nine months later, I had a healthy baby, baby boy for the first time. That was another big kick in the pants. Wow. Something I had never expected. Uh, we really had planned a life without children because we thought it was never going to happen. Surprise, so surprise. The first, yeah. Uh, the first year was uh, very difficult, uh, to say the least, because it was something we've never prepared for. It's something we've always wanted, discussed, wished for, but never happened. And uh, when he was born, I remember carrying him uh, out of the operating room where she had the C-section, and I just felt my life change at mm -hmm. that moment. Mm -hmm. I finally had someone else that was dependent on me, and it made me push even harder. Problem was, is I pushed even harder and put myself even farther back in the priority list. Yeah. But this, uh, to your defense, this was all relatively new in, in the story of your life to have a couple of people dependent on you and all the good that you bring to the world. They depend on you for their livelihood. That's that's new to you. So it's completely understood that, man, I'm going to throw myself a thousand and one percent into this. Absolutely. Uh, to my detriment, I did that. I And I've always been a bit of a workaholic. Uh, I, I'm a thousand and one percent person, like you said, and I spent a lot of time working in that very first year. I missed out a lot because of that. I felt that my biggest role was to provide finances and not emotional support. Later on, I learned that maybe that wasn't the best thing. Problem was, uh, 15 months later, I uh, we were de devastated by a natural disaster. I was in Hurricane Katrina having to deal with that and the aftermaths of it, uh, I developed a, a very big PTSD issue. Uh, I also developed a big depression issue uh, yeah. because I didn't know how to cope with it. Yeah. Uh, my son was 15 months old at the time. And I remember uh, it was well over a hundred days after Hurricane Katrina hit and we were going into our house that was completely filled with mold, water up to the roof line and having my son in my arms, him reaching over and seeing his toys and all he wants to do is play with his toys. He doesn't yeah. understand that it's a toxic environment. He can't touch it. And that really, really broke my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, when that happened, I felt like a failure. I had no control over it, but still I placed a lot of blame on myself because I was supposed to be the provider. And unfortunately, depression set in. When that happened, I went from about about a 230 to 250 pound big guy. I've always been a bigger guy. I wrestled heavyweight in high school and and just been a big bone boy sort of thing. Well, my, my weight started to skyrocket. I went well above 300. I remember seeing 350 roll past the scale. Um, uh, and I got up to the point of almost 400 pounds, less wow. than a tenth of a pound away during uh, the next several years. Uh, after Katrina, I tried to get my life back together. We were uh, living in a FEMA trailer and I tried to reopen my business as a photography studio that I had in New Orleans. Uh, it was successful there. Unfortunately, uh, because I was living in a FEMA trailer and in a, a location that wasn't where I had grown up, it didn't succeed. And that took another big emotional hit for me. Mm -hmm. uh, we, when that happened, uh, we actually got to the point where we didn't know where to go, what to do. I put a map of the United States up on the FEMA trailer wall and I threw a dart at it. And where it hit is where we moved. <laughs> Long story short, I ended up bouncing around a little while doing some research and development for some several companies and ended up where I am now uh, doing research and development for my current group. And something that I've always done, I've always been the tinkerer, the builder, the fixer. Tinkering is something I've always enjoyed. I've always been the fixer. I like tearing things apart, putting them back together. And when they work, that's the best feeling in the world for me. Little did I realize that I was not doing that with myself or my life at the time. Mm, interesting. Uh, we ended up having, 
Yeah, uh, this is all hindsight being 2020, yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, when we uh, finally settled down, we were in a bit of a pickle and I had to get, end up getting a, a house to support my family. And I did not purchase in the best place at the time. Uh, it was a very big detriment to my son's growth. He grew up in the typical poverty-stricken neighborhood where he was not treated well. Um, and I saw him getting bullied the same way I did. Oh, wow. That was a wake-up call for yeah. me. Um, I saw him going through a lot of the battles that I went through. And the only thing I could do as a dad was try to fix it. So I busted my butt, worked two jobs, uh, tried every little side hustle I could to save up enough money to get us out of there. And I did. I finally bought a house uh, that is in a good place that, that uh, he could grow up in and be a good successful kid during the time i was not aware of what i was doing because i was solely focused on trying to get to a goal i was still suffering from ptsd i was still suffering from depression my weight had gotten really high up there and i i really became codependent on my wife i would just emotionally rage vomit on her all the time had rage issues, anger issues. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I was not a good husband in any way, shape or form. I, I regret that now, but again, all I can do is try to fix from where I was, was at. Um, I was really stuck in the happy wife, happy life syndrome. So mm -hmm. everything I did was trying to make her happy. And obviously nothing did because all she wanted was for me to be happy. Mm. So I had hit a turning point at one point in time. Uh, I was doing scouts with my, my son, uh, my son, my wife, myself, and the scout troop went to a local mountain to do a hike. And I was thinking no big deal about it. We were just gonna go down this little mountain. I pass by it every day at work. And when I say mountain, the total elevation is like 600 feet. It's not really that big. And we went for this walk, we started it off and about 45 minutes into it, we hit the bottom and we started, to we started to have to walk back up. Well, about halfway up, I couldn't do it. Neither could my wife. We were so out of shape. I was honestly considering calling 911 to be airlifted off of this mountain. Oh, wow. It was a, it was a big eye opener at that point that I had realized that I had gotten to a shape that I didn't want to be at. The next day, actually, honestly, it was several days later because I was very sore the next day. Um, I, I told myself I needed to, to do something about it. I had a bad day at work and I was going to go for a walk. This walk is less than two miles and it's just around the, uh, the little industrial area where I work. The problem was is I couldn't even get a half mile through it. When I got to the point that I felt like I was literally going to pass out, you know, vision started to narrow, could not breathe. Mm -hmm. I sat down on the side and had an emotional breakdown. I, I just cried because I had realized that I had let myself go. I had a moment of clarity and realization. Uh, at that time, I had a piece of chalk in my, my pocket because I'd been working on a blackboard earlier. I put a piece of, I put a mark on the ground and told myself that I'm going to try this again and I'm going to get past this mark. That little mark on the ground, I have then put down with uh, spray paint as a reminder every time I pass it, mm, uh, mm -hmm. was my first step in making a journey of self-improvement. I had really hit rock bottom, or so I thought at the time. That little piece of chalk and that little mark gave me something to strive for every day. I would get it at work, do my work, and at lunch, I would start to walk. My only goal was to take one step farther than I did the day before. Mm -hmm. And I realized that through doing that after several months that that's really what life and self-improvement is about. These small little victories. If you're not happy with the little victories, you're never going to get anywhere because when you're looking at the big picture, it can become overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. I had learned to, 
I had learned to adopt a new way of living, uh, making small victories every single day. When I started to lose weight, my wife had started to look into bariatric surgery because mm-hmm. she wanted to lose weight too, but because of her illnesses, she wasn't able to put in the exercise. Well, she wanted to get the bariatric surgery and through my research, I found that if she did it and I did not, she was gonna have a very hard time succeeding. A very small percentage of people that are couples and only one has the surgery actually succeed. Oh, interesting. And knowing, yeah, less than 20% will succeed if only one person has it, but 80% succeed if both of them do it at the same time. Oh, I see. Okay. Wow. So because you adapt the same lifestyle, uh, I'll be honest with you. I did not want to do it. I was scared to death of doing it. I had started to lose weight and I thought I was on a good track, but I knew that if I didn't do it, she would not succeed. And I was still in my happy wife, happy life syndrome. I now refer to this as the, uh, the best decision I never made. Because <laughs> uh, I, I honestly did it for her. I, my goal in losing weight and everything was to try to fix my dead bedroom. I wanted my wife to find me attractive again. And I thought it was because of the way I looked. Well, she had loved me from the from day one and at any size that I was at. Mm-hmm. And I was so concentrated on the superficial, I did not see it. I thought it was just the way I looked. She found me disgusting. What it really was later on that I found is she didn't like the way I was behaving. I wasn't the man that I was, the one that she fell in love with. I had become codependent. Yeah. When I lost the ability to use food as a crutch, it was another big mental hit for me. Uh, I had to find something to, to get me that dopamine hit that I love. Um, I had to find something to release my frustration. And instead of cramming my, my face full of cheeseburgers, I just started walking more and more and more. And I started running and Less than six months after the surgery, I had gone from 375 pounds at the time of the surgery to 175 pounds. Jeez. I had lost 200 pounds in six months. Okay. That's insane. Dangerously fast. Yeah. Now, how much, how much was was that attributed to the lap band? It was actually only about 60 pounds. Um, I had it done and I really found that it wasn't being effective for me. It was actually hurting me more than it was helping me. Yeah. So I had it loosened up about 60 days after it was installed, had it loosened up. And then shortly thereafter, I actually had it removed as soon as the scar tissue allowed me to, um, and for those helped me learn, I was gonna say, and for those that don't know the listeners, what a lap band is, it's, it's a literal device that correct me if I'm wrong, that pinches around your stomach and makes it a a smaller stomach. Essentially, yes. It restricts the the flow of food. Mm -hmm. Um, It allowed me to find out that I had been in control of my body the entire time. And I found that it was actually more uh, of a harm than a help. But during that time, I found my my secret ingredient um, in lifestyle as far as how much to eat, uh, what sort of protein intake, how much water I need, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, and it allowed me to, for the first time in my life, feel in control of something. Yeah. And that was my own body. <clears throat> but that could go too for far into the very, negative, you know, where you have people that, that strive for that sense of control and they go into, you know, anorexia, bulimia, and that sort of thing, because they feel like they're in control of being out of control. And you lost so much weight in such a relatively short period of time. Were you malnourished at that point? Were you under eating to a great degree over exercising? I was definitely over exercising. Um, I was definitely burning a lot more calories than I was taking in at the time. Uh, and I did go to the extreme. Uh, that's why I was able to lose so much weight so fast, uh, to the fact that my gallbladder just completely gave out on me one day, um, and needed to have that quickly removed because of the weight loss. And I did some liver damage too. Oh, really? But if I hadn't done that, I would probably be be dead right now. Yeah. Yeah. I I was so morbidly obese. I, I would not have been able to survive. 
So it's such it was a, a I'm trying blessing to wrap, and a curse at the same time. Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my mind around such a relatively short period of time. It just must have felt like, wow, what a transformation. Just, I, I mean, I can imagine if somebody's that gradually over a period of several years, I lost this weight. That's one thing. But to just, it was almost like a flip of a switch. I mean, was that was there such a, was there a traumatic period of getting used to this new body of the new feeling, the new you? Because you're just a completely different, different human now. Oh, absolutely. Um, because I was so out of control emotionally, exercise became my crutch. And I would run 15 to 20 kilometers every single day. Wow. And take in less than 1,200 calories. Yeah, that's one way to lose weight. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll absolutely. do it. <laughs> um, I became so disgusted with the idea that food was my crutch that I, I became food averse. Yeah. And I overexercised. I beat the hell out of my body until I got down to where I couldn't do anymore. I got below 10% body fat when before that I was at 70% body fat. Yeah. What a change. So yeah, it was a lot of change and there was only so much exercising I could do. And when that, when the scale stopped moving, uh, I had to come to a realization that I needed something else. And I, I didn't know what that was. So I threw myself into work and trying to do a bunch of different things. As I did that, uh, I, I started to move forward in my career path. And with moving forward in my career path, I had the opportunity to travel more often than I had before. During these travels, uh, I was a completely different person. I was mm -hmm. this thin, attractive, you mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. runner that would always, uh, you know, I would come back to the hotel sweating and, and just yeah. from whole, beating the hell out of my body. Yeah. Whole, new, whole new, whole new, whole new you. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing is, is I did my weight loss and my surgery uh, to hopefully fix my dead bedroom and have my wife find me attractive again. Yeah. Problem is, is one day I realized that everything I had been fighting for from my wife uh, was being freely given to me by other women. Mm, let, I was yeah, let me, attracted. Let me, yeah, let me stop you there. This is one of the things that uh, I hear. I, I'm hearing now more than ever because I'm I'm been talking to guys on a regular basis who read my book, The Dead Bedroom Fix, and it gave them kind of a little blueprint for how to become a more attractive dude. And for some, not most, but for some of these guys, they get to the point of the, they have the superficial down. I look better. I dress better. I feel more confident. You just look at me and you can go, well, that guy's got it going on. And I'm getting all kinds of attention from other women. And some of these men just immediately jump, jump into emotional affairs with other women. You know, these social media apps and stuff allow men to do this so easily. Or like you, go on business trips and so forth. And next thing you know, they're hopping in bed in a hotel room with some strange woman. Boy, this is common. Uh, it's just when you get this internal sense of value and then you get all this validation from all these women and it's something you haven't felt in years, like literally years, it's like mother nature just takes over. It's like, you know, must mate with other females. Um, so I can see where you're going with this. <laughs> I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah, please continue. Yeah. Um, I had been getting attention from other women and it didn't, click until I was on a business trip one day and I realized that I had been talking to this woman for, I don't know, 45 minutes, hour and a half, two hours, time had just lost. Yeah. And the entire time she had been touching me. She had been putting her hands on my arm, you know, on my leg, that sort of thing. And I was completely clueless to it until she offered to, you know, go back to her room. And I, I felt my blood pressure drop, my face turn white, yeah. and the cold sweats start because it was the, the thing I had been looking for for so long from my wife that it came from someone else and I literally freaked out. I got up, walked away, and went back to my room because I was scared shitless, to be honest with you. Yeah, all um, the world. Well, the problem is this was a week-long trip and it happened three separate times that i had been offered to to with three different women what well look at you to go Jeez. back to their room wow well, and it wasn't <laughs> intentional 
You see, you know, you, I was you were, you were put, a nice guy. You were putting off some kind of vibes there, I would say. Uh, I don't, it, I, you're, I don't you're, know. You're just oozing confidence and oozing this new, newfound spirit of look at me. And yeah, the women came. That's very interesting. Man. I actually, I think it was the opposite. I still had the fat guy mentality of having to be nice, having to be courteous, being a gentleman, you know, but also I'm not, I was no longer this 400 pound guy trying to do this. I'm now this under 200 fit muscular guy, mm -hmm. uh, just displaying all of those overtly, you know, complimentary behaviors that a lot of the nice guys do. And I realized that that was a deadly combination because I had no self-confidence. Yeah, so I was looking for, I was looking for validation from anywhere that I could get it. Um, well, I knew that, that taking a woman, going with a woman back to her room was, was not something I wanted to do, but being an emotionally distraught person, you know, being angry that I'm realizing that these other women are freely giving me what I've been desiring for so long for my wife. Um, I did have a moment of infidelity where I sought out an es escort to uh, oh, try see. to, you know, uh, at the time, did you, at the time, did do. you consider that kind of a middle ground? I'm not exactly going after one of these women. Yes. I'm, I'm hiring a professional. So that's not so bad. Yes. That's exactly what was going through my mind. Yeah. Um, is it, it, it's something different. I thought it was the lesser of two evils. Um, unfortunately it was just as bad. Uh, hindsight being 2020 again. Yeah. You just, uh, the worst you still part felt the guilt. Is, is, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. The the guilt threw in to the point that um, I was actually unable to perform. So oh, it, I see. it yeah. made me realize that I had something going on in my head mm -hmm. and I didn't know what it was. Well, after coming back from that trip, I, I was just completely down, distraught. I couldn't even look my wife in the eyes. Um, they, my wife and son picked me up from the airport and I could barely say a word. I couldn't look at either of them. I, I went back home and I just cried. Yeah. I immediately the next day called the therapist and set up an appointment to, to discuss it. I, I'm a new person and I don't know how to handle this. I need mm. help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after many therapy sessions, trying to work on myself and come to my own, my own, internal validation uh i suggested to my wife that we go to marriage counseling where i told her about what happened and you know that was a very difficult thing for me to do but it was the right thing to do how did she take it, it at the time really oh it was as you would expect you know it was distraught for her um yeah. it really put a very big damper on our relationship and when it was several almost almost a year and a half before anything we really felt that I really felt that there was major progress or we got back to even close to where we were before. After revealing to her what had happened, it was a, an emotional rock bottom. Uh, I just didn't know how to handle myself. I was uh, again in a mentally bad place. It took me a long time to try to figure out how to become a better person, how to regain her trust, how to, to recover from this because I had made a promise to her and I wanted to keep it. And I had that personal thought of, I never wanted to say my first wife. So I wanted to try to work through it. Um, guilt was a really big contributor to my mental issues at the time. And uh, at one point, and I don't know exactly when it happened, I, I had an awakening. And I started to work on my own self-improvement mentally. I, I, the problem was, is it was directionless. I didn't know what to do. I was just trying to be a better person. When somebody needed help, if somebody was on the side of the road, I would pull over to help them. Um, every little thing of kindness that I could do, I would try to do thinking that that would bring me joy and happiness and making other people happy. Again, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not until I found uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy and The Dead Bedroom Fix and you did I realize that the happiness that I've been searching for my entire life was within me my, my entire time. And I was unable to see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped working on 
superficial things um, and started reflecting on myself internally. Uh, I remember uh, my therapist asking, well, Scott, what makes you happy? And I couldn't answer that. I didn't know. I didn't have anything that I could say. Well, when I go do this, I feel better. Or when I go do that, uh, I literally had nothing because I put my entire life into making my wife and family happy and my work and have done nothing for myself. So what, what was the grand epiphany of what could you do for yourself when you say your happiness is within yourself? How do you unleash that? Well, I started by just going after things that I had never experienced before. I started trying new things and, and literally went for a shotgun approach. And me being the extreme person that I am and a very, uh, I'm a very big science oriented scientist, tinkerer, you know, experimenter. I started off with a, a little thing as I bought a Venus flytrap and uh, started to research into them and found out that I could do tissue culturing with them. And now I have a, a 60 by 80 greenhouse that is completely filled with carnivorous plants. Oh, how cool. Because I do everything to the extreme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I uh, started to pick up hobbies and oh, so many hobbies. You know, uh, I did everything from drones to reloading the firearms to uh, writing, guitar, you know, just trying to find every little thing that would make me happy. What I found is there was never one thing that made me happy. What I found that makes me happy is the learning process of learning all these new things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's really where I started to find my happiness was just trying new things. When I got to a point that I felt I was comfortable with them, I would kind of push it to the side and move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of guys that, that live the same way. Yeah. I, you know, from you and I talking that I can relate to that a great deal. It's just when I am, when I have an interest in something, something has made me go, Oh man, I don't just casually go, Oh, isn't that interesting? I say no. And I jump into full blown with thousand percent and I will YouTube it and I will Google it. I mean, the internet for guys like us is either a godsend or it's awful. I don't know how to look at it, but it's, it, there's this infinite wealth of information about whatever topic you want to get into. And uh, I that, say that in the age of information, I say that in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. That's exactly very good. Exactly right. Now, some people, I, I've had people um, recognize where I really get into something. I, I distinctly remember when I was 20 some years old and I was in my apartment in Illinois and my friend came over to visit and I had another friend already there and I was playing guitar and my friend that was already there yelled to the other friend, come in here and hear this. He's like, he's getting really good at this now. Listen to this. And I was playing some Stevie Ray Vaughan thing or something. And my other friend said, yeah, but that's just the way he is. You know how he is. He gets so into something, he just can't stop or something like that. And that's kind of a belittling comment of, yeah, you know how he is. He's just the super obsessive weirdo kind of guy. Um, there's something to that. You, you can take it too far. You know, when you're late for work because you... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, when you're late for work because you're watching some YouTube videos on some subject and you've gone down a, a four-hour rabbit hole on something, that's, it's, it, that's bordering on obsessive and it's a little bit of a problem. But at the same time, for guys like us, you know, when somebody says, tell me what you've done over the past five years, you go, well, have a seat. Let me, <laughs> I've done this, 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 I've gone <laughs> here, I've done that, I've, I've now learned how to do this. And they're like, holy shit. They're like, yeah, I, I don't waste any time here. I, when I'm interested in something, I get interested in and I really dig into it. And um, that partnered with the fact that now I have my wife, who is my second wife. She is Miss Fearless. Let's just go do whatever. So on top of my obsessive hobby thing, now it's add to that a person who's pushing me to do other things because she's Miss Fearless. Let's go do whatever. And next thing I know, I'm ziplining across the 9,000 you know, from one mountain to another, 9,000 feet in the air. And old me would have been like, <laughs> hell no. So add to that. That's why we compliment each other a good way. So I, there's a positive to that. You and I and guys like us can say, yeah, but while you're sitting, going to your nine to five job and playing fantasy football or whatever, I've done these 19 different things. I, I think there's something Absolutely. to it. I think it's positive. And another positive about us, we tend to be the successful dudes in life. 
either monetarily or yes. otherwise, whatever you want to look at it. Um, if you ever study those successful, the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musks, those types, whatever you want to call them, um, same personality trait. It's those guys are like, I want to learn Spanish. And next thing you know, I've got 19 books in Spanish in their office. That, those, those are the kind of guys. Or, or they hire some personal trainer who's going to turn me into speaking fluent Spanish in a week. Um, so there's something there. I, and I don't, I don't have the education enough to say what that is. If you call it an obsessive compulsive, if there's some bit of that to it. But that's, that's definitely me to some degree. I would like to think it's not to yeah, a, an unhealthy degree. I find that a lot of men that I meet that have been struggling in the same areas that I have with the uh, the low self-esteem, the the codependency, the happy wife, happy life, dead bedroom life. Um, a lot of us are the same ways. And when we lose that drive to try new things, we get stuck in a rut and yep. it's so hard to get out of it. You got Recently, that. I have not recently, but for the last four years or so, as when I found my self-improvement and the path that I wanted to journey down, where it was the variety that kept me going. Yep. Anytime I saw a guy that was suffering from the same symptoms that I did, I drug them along. I'm like, look, I'm going walking. You're coming. No, I really don't. I'm don't, I'm not giving you a choice, you know, get your ass up. We're going for a walk. Now tell me about what's going on. And I would just listen to them for hours and tell them my story mm. and just try to get it out there to let them know that they do have the power, that they don't need to depend on anybody else for their happiness. It doesn't matter where you get the happiness from. It's as long as you try to find your own happiness. I've had so many people that I have met that have come back to me literally with tears in their eyes, shaking my hand, saying, thank you. You've helped me turn my life around just by being there and yeah. talking to me. Uh, it's so, I mean, we're going down a different tangent there, but this is the, 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 the fraternity with the zoom meetings that we have, the live meetings, as well as the one-on-one -on -one coaching. It's just, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in the one-on-one -on -one coaching and I may say 10 words, the entire one hour session. And the guy will end with, man, I'm sorry. I've been just blabbing nonstop. I'm like, no, no, dude, this is your hour. Have at it. This is where I get to know you. I like it. And he says, and it always some flavor of the same phrase, which is I never get an opportunity to do something like this. I've never told anyone, any of this stuff before. And some of it is really pretty innocuous, nothing stuff. Like, man, let me tell you this. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. It's like, I've never told anybody this before, but I lust after other women. <laughs> it's like, all right, dude. Let me, <laughs> I'm sorry to break this to you, but welcome to being a male. You know, that kind of stuff. But they're like, yeah, but I've never told anybody else this in my life. That kind of stuff. Um, it's hugely important, and especially for men. Women have got that down pat where they will sit down with each other and they will tell each other every secret there is about their husband, their kids, their job, every little men out there listening. If you knew what your wife shared with her friends, oh my God. But us guys, we just <laughs> we just keep that under wraps and we don't let it out unless we're, we feel completely safe to do so. Absolutely. A lot of times I, I, I've gotten the same experience and just being there and letting them know that they're not alone was one of the biggest things that got them started on their journeys to self-improvement to say, you're not alone. This is what every guy goes through at some point whether it's a midlife crisis, whether it happens in your 20s, whether you're a teenager, at some point in time, you just need to be able to stop keeping it in and let it out with somebody, somebody yeah. you can talk to, somebody that will listen, not judge you and say, you know, I'm here to help. If it makes you yeah. feel bad, let's work on making it feel good. And in this day and age, well, let me back up. It, it seems that the, the easy solution for what you're talking about there is, well, just get a good buddy or two, like a couple of best friends, just go, you know, call them up on the phone, go, Bob, you want to go to the bar, beer, five o'clock today after work. He's like, I'm there, dude. And then you guys just talk and talk. And then a couple hours later, you're like, all right, dude, I'll see you next week. Yep. Later. And go back to your wives. And that, while it sounds to some of you listening out there, like, well, yeah, that's what I do. Um, you're in the minority. The vast majority of guys that I talk to do not have that experience at all. It is work. It is kids and wife. It's maybe they tinker in the basement with some kind of hobby and they go to bed and they start it all over the next day. And when I say, when's the last time you actually sat down with another dude one-on-one -on -one and just chatted, 
And they're like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you three, four years ago, maybe. Yeah. That is not good. And we've just, we, we've structured our lives in such a way where our socialization as men is way down the list of must haves. Like, no, I got a career kids. I got to drive three kids to three different soccer practices. I got three kids in three different schools and this other kid's got ballet. And then I come home and I got to help out with the, with the house. Otherwise my wife's going to kill me. And then I go to bed at 11 o'clock and I do it all over the next day kind of thing. And they just have no time for themselves. And a big part of time for yourself is, well, who would have thunk it socializing with other men and just don't. That's one of the biggest things I took away from this journey. And especially your, your books was that that's one thing that I was missing is going out, going hunting, going, uh, I'm a nerd, playing Dungeons and Dragons, you yeah. know, um, doing anything with other guys that are in a similar situation. And I can't tell you how many times we've started a D&D game and it's just turned into a emotional fest of just emotional vomit that they needed to get out yep. because they felt so guilty about it was just something that had been pent up. And to hear, to say, yeah, I experienced that and so did Bob and so did Joe and so did, you Mm -hmm. know, whoever, we've all been through the same thing and you can just see the weight lift off of their shoulders. That has been one of the biggest things that has given me so much joy in my life recently is just letting other guys know that they're not alone. Yep. Yep. And in this day and age, COVID, so many guys I talk to have more than one job. They have more than one kid. They got the wife the marriage is on the verge of destruction and everything else. They have every excuse not to take an hour of their day to go talk to their friend, Bob or whatever. Um, You know, here comes the sales pitch, but that's why we have something like the fraternity group, the DSO fraternity. I'm like, I I recognize this need. Wouldn't it be nice if we could get together on a regular basis and chat? And that's why I created this group. And that's why we have, Oh, upwards of, I don't know how many meetings a week. We're up to like eight to 10, 12 meetings, uh, excuse me, per week, per month rather, um, on a variety of different topics. And sure enough, in every meeting, there's a good 10, 20 minutes of a guy just letting it out. Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what's going on in my world. And then one or two other guys chime in with like, dude, man, don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad about getting emotional about that, dude. Let me tell you what happened to me. And then that guy, all those guys in those meetings going, that was so cool. When's the, when's the next one? And you know, with the, with the chatting with a guy, I don't know what it is. There's like an energy about it being in a, if you want to call it a masculine presence or whatever you, however you want to term it, but you don't even have to have those big empty my heart out and tell you what's wrong with me. It's just being in the presence of another guy and just BSing. Hey, dude, you see on the news thing about the thing and the, yeah, yeah. Did you hear about, uh, Kathy and what's going on with her and Bob? No, no, what's going on? You know, nonsense stuff. But at the end, you're just like, hey, it was, it was awesome. Just the energy. Two guys, no kids screaming in the background, no boss yelling at you, no wife nagging at you. You just you come home Absolutely. with a you come home with a new energy, a, a new oomph about you, a little little uh, little giddy up in your step, so to speak. And uh, and so many guys go, man, I need to. And I'm, I'm trying to remember last time I had a good one on one with a guy in that situation where we literally had wings and beer. I know it sounds cliched, but that's what we did. That was probably six months ago. And I've been bugging this dude ever since. We got to do that again. Soccer, basketball, can't. His wife just had a baby. Baby, I got to watch the baby while she goes to some conference. Can't, can't, can't. All legitimate excuses. He's not avoiding me. I totally get it, but man, it's tough. And that's why groups like what we have are so very important, which is a big which is a very good segue into your new role in the group. And uh, I will explain how you came into the fold, so to speak, is that we had the fraternity and you joined maybe a couple of months ago or something to that effect. And you've been involved in some of the live Zoom calls. We have, for those that don't know, we have the fraternity. Quick sales pitch here again. The fraternity group is you pay $9.99 a month or $99 for the year. As of now, that pricing may go up here in the near future. But with that, you get uh, access to some articles and some audio that are for the members only. You get access to some Facebook groups that are private and they're for members only. And you can chat with other people going through what you're going through. And then we have these live meetings where you log in via Zoom and you have to be a member to RSVP. And you get in there and you can talk to 
dozens of guys that have gone through what you've gone through. Plus you get access to my books and so forth. Um, so you had started participating in some of the calls and it was, I, I don't get to participate in all of them, but I do eventually sit and listen to all the audio because they're all archived for the members to listen to. And every time this dude named Scott came on, I was like, I really like his stuff. You, you can just tell just the guys that have that life experience. You didn't even need to tell me your story and you didn't even share your story at all in the group, but I could just tell that guy's been there and done that. It's just dudes like you bring a certain energy to the room, so to speak. And you can just tell that's an interesting guy who's been there, done that. And sure enough, I reached out to you and said, I really like what I've heard. Let's chat and hearing your story. And I'm like, yep, I knew it. He's one of those dudes, <laughs> one of those guys who's been there, done that and got the t-shirt. And you, you have a naturally helpful personality and a naturally oh, a healer vibe, if you want to call that to you, a guy who just likes to reach out and say, dude, what's up? What's wrong? And oh yeah, exactly. been, there, done, been there, done that. Here's, here's what I did. And so that's why I approached you. About, because that you was like? the one thing. Yeah. That's what you were missing. Because that was, yes, exactly. That's the yeah. one thing I was missing through my journey. My journey, I did solo. I did alone and had to spend a lot of time in my own head sorting out my things. And when I started to connect to other guys and they were able to just get it out, they were able to recover so much faster than I did and so much easier. And yep. seeing a guy go from this mopey, you know, I hate my life, I hate what's going on to this, even just a little bit more confident, just uh, to go to be able to talk to a stranger when they would never do that before is the greatest feeling in the world. And I really enjoyed doing that. It, it's something that I, wanted to relay. I, I really want to teach people what I learned through my journey and help as many, many of them as I can follow down their own path and not have to wander it aimlessly like I did. I decided to start mentoring and coaching people that I ran into several years ago uh, when I really started to understand what I was going through. And I would just drag them along kicking and screaming. And I've got to say, working on myself has been one of the biggest helpful things. I went into my entire process trying to fix my dead bedroom when I realized what I needed to fix was myself. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. else followed. I mean, yeah. my, my dead bedroom is no longer. Um, the trust is still not 100%, but it's, it's sure. really close. And, sure. and I'm in the best emotional and physical shape of my life. And my marriage is the strongest it has ever been. And it was me working on myself rather than trying to make my wife happy the entire time. There you go. And it's completely counterintuitive. But when I became me again, she fell back in love with the guy she met 20 years ago. There you go. There you go. It's funny. The, the, the book, The Dead Bedroom Fix, which is the, the gateway drug to my world, as I always call it. That's what gets a lot of guys interested and they explore further into this whole topic. Um, I, I could have named the book something like be a better dude, you know, something generic like that, but it wouldn't have sold nearly as many copies as if I had said the dead bedroom fix, which a lot of guys go, well, hell, I know what that is. Yeah. Not getting sex in a marriage. <laughs> yeah. Who does get sex in a marriage? Let me read this book and see what it's all about. And then they come to the ultimate conclusion, which you did, which is this whole thing's about just be a better you. And if she comes along for the ride, awesome. If not, well, guess what? New, better you, and you'll be awesome too. Um, there for you people interested in buying the book, I just summarized it for you. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than that, a lot more detail, but that's in essence, that's the conclusion of the whole thing. Um, so that this is all why I brought you into the fold, so to speak, into the DSO world. It's like, I can't let some opportunity like this just go by and just say, Hey, thanks for joining the group. See you later. It's, I want you to be able to pay it forward to other guys in the group. So we've brought you on as you'll be hosting some zoom meetings here in the near future, as well as uh, you'll be able to offer your time to guys on one-on-one -on -one sessions. Um, so with coaching. So if any of you go to the uh, dadstartingover.com website and click on coaching, you'll see it and you'll see the pricing. And for those that are DSO fraternity members, your pricing is much discounted from what you see there. So please keep that in mind and you can re read Scott's bio on there and, and uh, see what he's all about. But I highly recommend if, if any of what Scott is telling you, you're nodding your head going, yep, yep. Been there, done that, which by the way, I've talked to enough of you guys over the years to realize that's a lot of you out there. And if any of this sounds familiar, 
Like I could really use a helping hand for a guy that's been there, done that hugely important. Then uh, give Scott a try, click on that button and set up a session with him. And I think uh, you will not regret it by any means. So Scott, any last words? This has been already about an hour. It went by pretty fast. Yeah, it usually does. Uh, especially, uh, as they say, time flies when you're having fun. Yes. And also time flies when you're able to finally release that pent up pressure that you've had, those emotional burdens. Um, it, it just it just goes away and you feel so much lighter at the end. Yeah. Uh, to anybody out there that just needs, uh, needs somebody to talk to, to want to know, you know, how did you do it? Or what do you think? Uh, I'm here. I, I enjoy helping men reach the same point that I have, uh, where I am finally happy and content with myself again, actually for the first time in my life, to be honest with you, I feel that I am a person once more. And if you ever feel that you're not, uh, it's time to look out for some help, whether yeah. professional, whether with friends, whether with a fraternity or a group like this. I really like this group. Um, it's filled with a lot of people with the same backgrounds, the same stories, the same sort of issues. And I have never been with such a supportive group where people literally just, you know, check up on each other and congratulate them on the small victories that they've done and mm -hmm. be supportive to each other and just really want to help each other get better. And I'm here to it. help anybody that wants it. You got it. And for all you guys out there that are thinking right now, yeah, but this is my situation. Um, trust me, we've heard it. <laughs> um, I, oh, yeah. I, I could, I could do a podcast episode and I wouldn't, I never would, of course, out of uh, privacy sake, but I could fill an hour with, let me tell you some horrible stories I've heard. Um, we've heard it all infidelity, attempted murder, you name it. it been there, done that. So don't feel any kind of shame over anything. Uh, this, we're not going to sit here and judge you. It's not going to be an hour of me just sitting there going, dude, dude, dude. <laughs> yes. I yeah. want to do that. Yes. I want to do that sometimes. Um, but that doesn't get anything accomplished. You need to get some stuff off your shoulders and you need to talk to guys that been there, done that, which is, I keep saying that word, like a, just a little catchphrase, but man, that means everything. Uh, I could go sit down, and right? I could go sit down right now with a certified family therapist and just go, here are my issues. And the woman's going to look back at me and go, I don't know what to tell you other than here's my boilerplate worksheet I have for every client who comes in and you need to do these things and love yourself. Goodbye. It's like, okay, that does as opposed to a guy going, oh yeah. And let me guess your wife did this and this next, right? Yep. Been there, done that. And then let me guess you went through this and this. Yep. Well, here's what we're going to do, buddy. We're going to get a game plan. Yeah. Place. A lot of times, yeah. A lot of times it takes the kick in the butt where we, as guys, simply say, you know, this problem is your fault. You did well, a lot this. Of the time it is. You're the only one that can fix it. Yeah. A lot of the time that is the case. That is the case for sure. When you pay a professional therapist, they're never going to tell you that. They're going to they're gonna placate you. And having other guys to just tell you, you know, you, what you did was dumb and stupid. You need to fix that. Otherwise, things are not going to change. And on the other side of the coin, you know, when it comes to the most of the chats I have with her guys with marital problems, sometimes it's, dude, you married a toxic one. I'm sorry. I know you love her to death, but she's got a, a menu full of problems and you know she does. And you've tried all you can mm -hmm. to fix this. And she's just a very toxic human being. Doesn't mean she's horrible, awful, terrible devil. It just means she's she brings a lot of baggage to the table. And then there's nothing you can do to fix that, mister. And the for, the quicker you get to that conclusion, the better. I'm sorry to tell you that it's over. And sometimes that just ugh, takes all the wind out of their sails in a good way. Kind of like, finally, finally, somebody tells me this isn't all my fault or that I shouldn't just try 19 more things. It's like, no, dude, your wife had an affair with five different men and had a kid with another guy. It's over. Um, some guys need to hear that. And then I'll, like you say, to your point, some guys need to hear it. Yank your head out of your ass. Seriously. Get with the program here. And I think that's the value we bring, uh, we bring to the table where some guys that have been there, done that and know, know when to uh, prescribe what we prescribe for sure. Well, exactly. Scott, thank you so much. This was great. I appreciate it. And again, for guys that uh, are looking to chat with Scott one-on-one, -on -one, go to dadstartingover.com and click on coaching. And if you want to take things to the next level, 
go to uh, dadstartingover.com slash join. And you can watch a little video all about the DSO fraternity and see what the pricing is. Again, $9.99 a month or $99 for the whole entire year. And one of the benefits is that you get uh, coaching with guys like Scott and myself, Jack and Thomas at a much discounted rate. And uh, we look forward to chat with you. All right, Scott. Thanks so much, buddy. Stay healthy. Take care of yourself. Thank you very much. And appreciate your time. You have a good one. You too, sir. And uh, talk to you guys later. All right. If you're listening to this, you're probably a guy who is interested in self-improvement. You probably consume a lot of information like these podcasts, YouTube videos, audiobooks, courses, everything you can to learn more and help you become the best man that you can be. And if you're like a lot of men, there's something still missing. Well, I can tell you what that missing thing probably is. Quality time with other men that are on the same mission as you. Some of you probably have casual relationships with your fellow soccer dads or the occasional beer with guys from the neighborhood, but none of them seem to be on the same page as you. Am I right? They seem content with their shitty marriages, their shitty jobs, and their expanding waistlines. They have all but given up. You find yourself talking to them about the same football teams, listening to their stories about their subpar home life, and you're getting to the point where you dread hanging around them. Well, the good news is that we have assembled a group of men just like you. We call our group the DSO Fraternity. We have live Zoom meetings that are hosted by yours truly, along with the other members of the DSO team. We have a very active private discussion forum, a Discord server for our lifetime members, a members-only podcast, access to my books in audiobook and PDF format at no extra charge, discounts on one-on-one coaching with myself and other members of the team, discounts on our video courses, and access to our in-person gatherings. We have met in Nashville, Tennessee, Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, Australia, Amsterdam, and soon in New Orleans. So check it out, the DSO Fraternity at dsofraternity.com. We have monthly, annual, and lifetime membership options available. I think you will find our group is the missing piece of the puzzle that you have been looking for.